Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. so much for greeting one another. You can head on back to your seats. Great. Um, It is my privilege once again to read um, our text from the Bible this morning that Josh is going to share from. So if you would, uh, once you're settled, Want to open with me to the book of Luke, chapter 1, and I will start in verse 5 and we'll read through verse 25. In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, uh, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord." He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their Lord, their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." Zechariah asked the angel, well, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was complete, completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Thank you, Amy. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. My name is Josh, and uh, I'm new here. And so if I haven't met you, uh, I'd love to connect with you. And if you're new here, let's be new together. 
and uh, get, get to know this church family. It's, uh, it's been great so far. I was told yesterday that it's obligatory when you're pastoring in Columbus, Ohio, to share some condolences after <laughs> a buck I lost. That is like pastoral malpractice if you don't address the, the huge hole in everybody's heart. So Christian, just hear me say, God is near to the brokenhearted, and he binds up the weak, and those walking in darkness will see a great light. Uh, okay, now we can talk about Jesus. Uh, who is the great light? Uh, and that brings us <clears throat> to our Advent series uh, for 2022. I, uh, disclaimer, I have a little bit of a cough, or a lot of bit of a cough, depending on if the Lord blesses me <laughs> through this sermon or not. So I got cough drops and water, and I told Chaz to mute me if I start coughing too bad, but hopefully we can, uh, we can get through it. Advent is simply a, a fancy word for arrival, the arrival of something or someone notable or important. And uh, it's profound that each year uh, at Christmas time, Jesus followers all around the world in many different countries uh, celebrate Advent, rehearsing the good news that Jesus arrived on the earth in the flesh, the God of the universe put on flesh and dwelt among us. He, uh, Eugene Peterson translates John chapter one as, uh, he put on, uh, he put on flesh as he moved into the neighborhood and lived among us as humans to show us the way back into life with God. And one thing I love about the season of Advent is that it helps us really embody the, the reality that we are living in a time that where we are experiencing the already not yet of the good news of the gospel. Uh, there's an already part of what we're living in, uh, in the gospel, and then there's a not yet part that we haven't experienced. Because we can celebrate Christmas uh, with joy because Jesus already came. He was born as a baby. He grew up and he died and rose again. And we can today, you and I can experience life with God under his loving rule as our father. <clears throat> but then there's a part of salvation we have not yet experienced, and so we're also waiting for the arrival of the fullness of our salvation, the fullness of what God has promised he will do in the renewal of all things, the, the restoration of all things, the elimination of sin and sickness and death and every other evil in the world has not happened yet. We are waiting Jesus's uh, return, second return, so that we can fully enter into the kingdom of God. And, that, and so as we come into the season of Advent, we can celebrate that Jesus already came and we can, and we can await with joyful expectation for the arrival of Jesus to inaugurate his kingdom, to be on his throne once and for all. So it's a beautiful season. Uh, there's a lot of coziness, merry and bright, good food, loved ones, all that stuff. But I think one of the most underrated aspects <clears throat> of the Advent season is that if we let it, this season can be an invitation to us to open up some tender parts of our lives, of our stories, and consider how the reality that God drew near to us and how the reality that he's coming to make all things new might speak to these tender places. Camille and I had been married about two years, uh, and I was finishing up seminary. This is a while ago, and it was looking like miracles upon miracles. I was going to have a job after seminary. And so Camille and I were like, hey, let's have a baby. Let's, let's have a kid. 
And so we waited, and then we waited for two years uh, to get pregnant. And I know there's probably some of us here who have struggled with infertility way longer than that. Two years is nothing. But um, for Camille and I, we took, it, we took it pretty hard. It revealed a lot of things in, in our hearts that, that weren't great, a lot of entitlement, self-righteousness, and it was just super painful month after month, uh, not, not getting pregnant. And I remember there was a, a day in that season when I got lunch with a college kid, uh, from, from our church. And he was from a rough background and was telling me his story. And he said that his dad, his biological father, whom he'd never really known, only seen a couple times in his life, had fathered 20 kids, literally 20 kids with all these different women and raised none of them. And I just took the rest of the day off. I just went home and cried. I was so angry, like the ache in my heart to be called daddy. And then this goofball can have 20 kids. It it just wrecked me. But God in his mercy brought that season to an end. Praise his name. We have three kids now. And then I just drunk on parent joy. Uh, And as we reflect on that season of waiting, uh, to get to get pregnant, uh, to, for Johnny to come, we feel a lot of gratitude for how God met us in that season, uh, how He refined us and refined our hearts and prepared us to see see Himself, see God as the giver of gifts, and to see kids as the extravagant blessing that they are, and that helps even in the hard moments when. It feels, you know, in parenting, when it feels like everything is coming unglued. Not that I've experienced that. I've just heard that, you know, speaking for a friend, just kidding. In those hard moments, we feel great, grateful that God prepared us to experience them, even, even those hard moments, as a gift of parenting. And I go into that story today because we are looking at the story of Zechariah in Luke 1, and we see Zechariah facing hopelessness. And coincidentally, in a similar uh, similar. It, experience of infertility. The first Sunday of Advent is the hope candle, and we see that the fear associated with hopelessness is addressed as Jesus's, uh, as, as the world prepares for Jesus's birth. Uh, we're calling our Advent series Fear Not, <clears throat> because it, it, it seems very significant to me that in the events, the announcements around Jesus' birth, four times the invitation to do not be afraid, or as the King James says, fear not, uh, is, is announced. The advent or the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, comes with this call to fear not. Four times. Zechariah, look at Mary next week, Joseph and the shepherds. They're all told to not be afraid. And as it turns out, Jesus is to fear what light is to darkness. And it makes sense. If God is love and perfect love casts out fear, so then as perfect love takes on flesh and dwells among us, it would make sense that fears are revealed and exposed and then met with the love of God. So a question for you this morning where in your life do you feel hopeless? Maybe it's infertility, like what Camille and I were experiencing. Maybe it's what feels like too many kids, and you wonder if you've lost yourself in being a parent. 
Maybe it's your marriage facing a type of loneliness you didn't know existed and don't know how what you're going to do. Or maybe it's a hopelessness and singleness, aching for a spouse, terrified about the possibility of opening yourself up to loving and needing another human. Maybe it's your job, feeling stuck. Finances, unsure how you'll ever get to a stable place. Maybe it's your grown children that are just breaking your hearts with your heart with the decisions that they're making. Maybe it's a struggle with sin, mental health issue that's lasted for decades and it just feels hopeless. Well, the main idea for us today is that the God who hears prayer casts out the fear of hopelessness with his presence, with his very presence. Your hopelessness can be met with the ears of our Father in heaven who hears them, hears the prayers, and he casts it out with his very presence. So let's dive in. I think Zachariah's story has a lot of hope to offer us. Look at verses 5 through 7. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, to set the scene, Luke gives us a little profile of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth and says that they were good people, righteous before God. It's kind of an amazing statement. He was a priest. That was his like vocation, his job, serving the people of God. And because of the view in that day and age, in that culture, is that, that barrenness of being childless meant there's something wrong with you. Luke makes it very clear that they were righteous, that they, they were blameless before God, and they were advanced in years. The window for having children had closed. The decades, I would imagine, of their prayers for a child had gone Unmet, un, unanswered and met with silence. In verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by law according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the <clears throat> burning of incense, incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, the way the temple system worked back in that day is that each division of of priests from all around the country of Israel would rotate into the temple in Jerusalem to do the various duties of worship once or twice a year. So it was kind of a special time of the year. Uh, And then within that division, one priest would be picked to go into the holy place and burn incense. So we are seeing Zechariah at the highlight of his year, probably, and then having won the lot to go in and offer incense, which is probably in the top five experiences of his life. So this is a very special, weighty moment in the life of Zechariah. And I just love this whole concept of an incense offering. Uh, the point of the practice that God gave to his people in the Old Testament was to see the smoke and fragrance of the incense uh, as the pr- symbolizing the prayers of God's people going up to him. I mean, we could, we could spend the rest of our time this morning just meditate on that, the beautiful picture that God gives us. 
that one of the ways God wants us to understand our prayers, to understand the way that he experiences our prayers, is that they are fragrant, beautiful smoke, effortlessly wafting up to him. Prayer is just such a beautiful theme in this account of Zechariah and the birth of John the Baptist. And we see, because we see in verse 10 that there's this huge crowd praying outside at the hour of incense. It's a beautiful picture of lighting the incense and seeing the smoke go up, knowing that the, the God's people are praying outside. It was a very special moment drenched in prayer. Verse 11 gets even more special. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are called, and you are to call him John. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> the angel of the Lord shows up and gives us our, our title line Fear not, do not be afraid, because your prayer has been heard and you will have a child. We see the decades of years of waiting and hopelessness being met by a real angel showing up and telling him, God heard you, bro. You're going to be a dad. And the news gets even sweeter. Look at verse 14. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their God, and he will go on <clears throat> before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. There's going to be joy and gladness, and this kid is going to have a powerful ministry, meaningful work. He's going to be the prophesied forerunner for the Messiah. He's going to turn people back to God after 400 years of silence that Israel had experienced up until this point. If you're someone who's longed to be a parent, this is about as good a news as you could have hoped for. He's finally going to be a dad, and not just a dad of any kid, but, but of the promised forerunner of the Messiah, preparing the world for its Savior. But how does Zechariah respond? Look at verse 18. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Here we see what long, bitter, hopeless years have done to Zechariah's heart. An angel shows up and tells him that his wildest hopes and dreams are about to come true. And he responds in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase from the message, do you expect me to believe this? That seems strange. But before we judge Zachariah's lack of faith, I hope we can hear his broken heart that's behind, the, the pain that's behind this doubt the fear that it would be to open himself up to hope again after decades of having his prayers go unanswered. Long-delayed hope can wreak havoc in our hearts. 
can lead us into bitterness that we aren't even fully aware we're going into, can cause us to be triggered by things that are the very good news that we've been longing to hear. Like an angel of God just promised all you've ever hoped for and more, but he just has no space for hope in his heart. I can't. It's too painful to believe. Can you relate to that? Do you you ever read scripture, the promises of of God and his, his perfect word or a description of what he's like and say with Zechariah, do you expect me to believe that? I I definitely don't want us to take the high ground over Zechariah here. Doubt and hopelessness is just a part of life in this fallen world. Because again, we live in an already not yet reality. Already we have a relationship with God through Jesus. We're justified, made right with him, adopted into his family. But then our slow journey into the fullness of what it means to be a son or daughter of God takes the rest of our lives and can be full of a struggle against doubt and hopelessness. I hope we can see Zechariah and have some sympathy and in turn have some sympathy for ourselves, for those of us who might be carrying years of longing and struggle struggling to stay soft-hearted and receptive to God in the midst of pain. And I want us to see the incredible mercy of God and, and how Zechariah just responds honestly. He doesn't give the Sunday school answer. He pours out his hopelessness, that bitterness to God. Sometimes, sadly, the church can be a place where we feel like we can't have any doubt, any doubts and we just have to be happy, clappy, and we can't share a struggle until it's 10 years in the past and we can tie a bow on it nice and tidy. But it's just not the picture that Scripture gives us here. Scripture shows the people of God being very raw, very open with him. One of my favorites is Psalm 142, verse 2 where it says, I pour out my complaint, pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell all my trouble. God cares. He hears our prayers. The Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. They're meant to guide us in how to pray. God can take our rants, our ravings, our complaints. Even when it seems like he isn't listening, we can look to scripture and know that he is. Our hopelessness, our complaints fall on the ears of our Father who hears us and cares. Now look how the angel responds in verse 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So the angel has a, a, a come-to-Jesus talk with Zechariah. He says, 
um, listen, I stand before God and I'm bringing you this good news. So now you will be silent. Now it seems a little bit like Zachariah is in trouble and on some level he is, but what I want us to see here is that he's not being punished for his, his hopelessness, but instead he is receiving his father's love, fatherly correction from God through this angel. And I think when you look at the, the breadth of scripture, you can see this pattern and <clears throat> how God relates to people struggling with doubt and suffering. And this is the, this is the pattern. Complain, be silent, see God. Complain, be silent, see God. I offer this pattern as just, you know, a framework that might be helpful as you consider your own story in, in hopelessness. First, we see people complain, wrestle with God, pour out their hearts, grapple with him. Psalms are full of that. I think this is a really profound, nuanced view of what it means to process our doubts and our hopelessness with God. Because even in the pouring of, out of our doubts, pouring out of those hard emotions, we're, it's one of the most profound displays of faith. I don't know where else to go. I'm kind of mad at you, but I don't know where else to go. And so I'm going to pour out my heart to you. The story of Job back in the Old Testament is a great example of this pattern. He loses everything, everything good, his kids, property, home, livestock, and all he's left with is a nagging wife and some not-so-helpful friends. And he pours out his complaint to God, demands an answer. He doesn't tie a bow on it. He's angry and hopeless that his righteous living has resulted in all of this suffering. And it's so meaningful to me. It seems like such a compassionate thing of God <coughs> informing scripture. The book of Job is 42 chapters long because it could literally be like five or six and we would miss almost none of the storyline. It's so long because for like 30 some chapters there in the middle, you just have Job complaining and bad theology from his friends and his wife's nagging advice as they try to grapple with the devastation of Job's life. God has ordained to give Job's complaining tons of airtime in the Holy Scriptures. And then God hears him. God comes to him and speaks. Job 38, at the end of all those chapters of complaining and not great theology, <clears throat> verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? Across it. God says to Job, I hear you. Now stop talking. Brace yourself like a man is Bible for put on your cup. Gird your loins, because I'm going to drop some truth bombs. And then God starts dropping these questions to put into perspective Job's reality versus God's reality. Those unanswerable questions that we just read about the magnitude of God's being and power and knowledge go on for four more chapters. 
relentlessly. After complaining, Job is silent as God speaks. And he experiences the immensity of who God is, the scale at which God operates and holds all things together. And Job responds like this at the end of those four chapters of God talking. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Do you see the difference there? Job was a God-fearer. He knew he had heard a lot about God. But after pouring out his complaint in his suffering and hopelessness and being silent, he has now seen God. The presence of God draws near. We pour out our hopelessness and doubt to God like Job, like Zechariah did, and then we're silent. <clears throat> no longer need to speak. We can sit quietly just in the void, that space of longing. And what happens in that space is we begin to see God for ourselves, experientially, relationally. It is a hard but somewhat beautiful truth that Job gets no answers to those 30-some chapters of questions. Instead, the answer to his question is God himself, his presence speaking to him. I think there is a treasure chest uh, in, in the connection between our hopelessness and silence before the sovereign God of the universe. Silence can become a way after we've poured out our heart to God that we surrender. That's at the heart of silence before God is surrender. I don't know what to say. I don't have any more words. And we accept our place as creatures under the master of the universe who cannot understand everything. This is a tough truth to swallow, but for those who have ears to hear, it can be a deep place of refuge. And we see this surrender in the rest of Zechariah's story. The results of Zechariah's silence we see in verse 57. Flip over to there, Luke 1, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. <clears throat> but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So despite Zachariah's hopelessness and doubt, 
God's promise remains true. His wife gives birth to the son, and Zechariah obeys God by naming him John. Now, in that day and age, to not name your own son would have been a very big deal. Uh, I'm sure over the decades, Elizabeth and Zechariah had a long list of baby names that they had been working on in hope. But they receive from God the child, and out of the silence, Zechariah speaks his submission by naming the child what God chose. And then like Job, Zechariah has seen God, which is the third movement of the pattern. What was the first thing that Zechariah did when his mouth was opened? It said he praised God. He saw him all the more clearly after this complaint. And we have what follows next <clears throat> is a worshipful prophecy over his newborn son. I want to read parts of it. Look at verse 67. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Flip over to 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah, out of his silence, surrendered to God and has seen God, especially filled with the Holy Spirit. He has seen God's plan for redemption, for the salvation of the whole world in Jesus. Zechariah goes through, uh, this hopeless man, he goes through the gauntlet of grappling with God in his doubt, long months of silence, and comes out the other side as the father of Jesus' forerunner proclaiming the good news that those who were living in darkness will see the light of Christ that will, and who will guide them in the path of peace. And what's even more mind-blowing is that Jesus, our King, <clears throat> we see him in Scripture go through the same pattern, pouring out his heart to God, being silent, and then seeing God. As he approached the cross, we see him pour out his heart to God in the garden, Father, if there's any other way, I, I don't want to do this. If there's any other way, in despair of the thought of what's to come, but he submits, not my will, but your will be done. And he went silently to the cross. He spoke so sparingly on the way to the cross that Pilate, one of his uh, <coughs> judges, said, why aren't you answering my question? Don't you, don't you know that I have the power, of your, power over your life? And what does Jesus say? You wouldn't have any power except that which is given by God. Do you see that, that surrendered heart Jesus has in his silence? He didn't fight or argue. And while Jesus was on the cross, he cried out what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he heard silence in response. And that, my friend, is the ultimate answer to your hopelessness and my hopelessness that Jesus was forsaken so that we could be accepted, so that our prayers might be heard. He experienced the silence of God as all of the wrath for our sin was poured out on him. It was through this staggering event of Jesus on the cross that shows you and I that he hears you, 
that he made a way for you to know him like a father. He went through incredible suffering to bring you into his family to where you, with the boldness of a toddler throwing a fit, can pour out your despair and confusion and hopelessness. And God, the good father in love, holds you in it. In his love, he hears you. In his love, he quiets you and is with you. He is not aloof or unlistening. He is a God who hears prayer. And we know that he's a God who can bring about redemption by taking something as awful as the one true son of God without sin on the cross and redeeming it in his resurrection. Jesus now sees God as, as he sits at his right hand interceding for us. So in this Advent season, can we try to dial into our longing, those hopeless places in our lives that, that, that we're just weary of hoping for as we wait for the renewal of all things? I think the story of Zechariah invites us to get that, that part out and pour it out to our good father because he can take it. He loves us literally to death. <clears throat> An invitation for you this week is to, to try to engage with this three-part pattern. Pour out your complaint or anger to God, the injustices and things that feel so not right to you. Traditionally, this is called a, a, a writing a lament or the practice of lament. Grab a journal and just write out the fiercest lament you can manage. This is not a time to journal out flowery spiritual things that your biographer will look at 50 years from now and make you look like a super Christian. This is the stuff that no one should ever read. It was a huge breakthrough in my life when I realized, like, I can write something that no one, no, I didn't need to write for posterity. I could just write to God as I was feeling it. Pour it all out there. You don't have to filter it. And then be silent. Submit to God in your silence. And this combo of lament and silence and solitude are powerful. And what if this Advent season in the midst of the cookies and shopping and hubbub, you took 20 minutes each day to kind of open the door to that place in your heart that feels so sad, so hopeless, and bring it out and hold it before the God who died in order to know you and love you. Bring out those emotions before God in his presence and let him hold you in your hopelessness. And how might, how might we experience his presence more, see him more clearly for who he is and how he loves us? My hope for us is that we would be a people who can both boldly pour out our despair to God and can also sit silently before him as the God of the universe, knowing that he has paid the price in Jesus to make us his beloved children. I'm going to pray here in a moment. I want to invite you to respond to God's word today while the band plays. If there's a place of hopelessness in your life, we would love to pray for you. You don't have to be in that place alone. We'd love to lay hands on you and pray. If you've not experienced the good news that you can know God as your father and pour out your heart to him without fear, we'd love to talk to you how you can know God through Jesus. Let me pray. Oh, Father, I praise you as the tender God of the universe who hears our prayers, who so clearly has painted for us in, in your word a, a pattern of, of talking to you that is so intimate and raw and honest. And Father, as we 
in this season where there's so much fun and specialness uh, and hope, uh, I pray that you would give us the courage to look at those tender places in our lives uh, and, and bring them before you in honesty and a receptivity for how you might heal it with your presence. Oh God, will we be transformed by your presence as we invite you into these places, every part of our story, every part of our life. And may we be uh, transformed, redeemed, joyful people that can invite others into that same experience. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.